Hi, I'm Warren. Hi, I'm Adam, and we work for the Sanguine Writing House, which is the UK's leading provider of in-person and online team training, mental health awareness, and mobile mystery games. And this is the next episode of Minefield, our weekly podcast, and today we're joined by Ross McWilliam, the man who changed a million lives. So thank you, Ross, uh, for joining us today. Do you want to just start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, it sounds very brash, that a million lies, but you've got to get it in context. I don't know that figure exactly, but in the last 35 years or so, because I'm 61 now, um, I've written books, I've spoken in, in the UK sometimes, overseas, I've done training sessions and, you know, formal education and corporate world. I've probably reached quite a number of people, so it's not exact science, but yeah, I, I enjoy helping people get better results, whether that's in sports, relationships, life, health. That's the sort of thing I do. And, you know, you get to a certain age and all the experience that builds up behind you. You know, what I say I do really is just put a gentle arm around someone's shoulders, metaphorically, understand where they're coming from, what's given them angst, where they can make their improvements, then try to facilitate that. You know, that's the sort of stuff I do, whether that's individually or collectively. You know, hmm. both excite me, and, and I'm still excited at 61 to do stuff. So most people at my age are retiring. Um, if my body lets me, I'll keep going a bit longer. That's great. What's your uh, background, Ross? So how, you know, let's go back a couple of years or maybe a little bit longer. Um, so what, what was your background initially? What what did you kind of train as and, and go into? Yeah, it's, it's a loaded question, that, because I'm conscious I don't want to spend the next 20 minutes telling you about my background. But, yeah, I left school at 16, no qualifications, went to Preston College, decided I need to put my head down a bit more and work. Not a naturally gifted academic, but very focused on my mindset. You know, if I want to do something, I'll do something. So I got my GCSEs, did my levels, did a, a degree at Leeds Carnegie PE, then went to Canada, did a Master's. And um, in the candidates were a sort of... Um, had the serious knee injury that changed my direction. But I got to the age of about 25 when I started to work. And I started to work originally, um, you know, in teaching in the south of England and coaching. And then I was at the place you used to work at, Adam, uh, an EBD right. unit in Blackburn. And in between that, I've, um, I've had a fast food shop and I've worked as commercial manager at Preston North End for five years. A really eclectic mix of things. But... The common strand really is education. I'm always interested in educating people. And in that process, I've been educated as well, which is great. Okay. Uh, like I said, that's a massive collective kind of experience that you've got there. So what led you into wanting to help people and change people's lives? Or Yeah, I think that's something... They say teachers are, 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 are naturally there or not. And we used to work on a study on the B.Ed. and B.A. course. And we used to say the B.Ed. people, the teachers, they were naturally people who wanted to do that. And I think you've got to want to help somebody. It, it's not about the money. The money is important because it helps you do more things. But you've got to have that intrinsic want to support other people. And what I've found as I've got older and with more experiences, that I'm in a privileged position somehow to understand people better. And, and, and people maybe not in crisis, 
but people who want a bit of better performance, whatever that performance field is in, I think I've got something to offer them. And and I think that's the beauty of what I do, really. I sort of weigh up people, weigh up the situation, understand where they're coming from, how they want to learn, what's bugging them, what's not bugging them, put them at ease, make them feel safe, and then we get on with the learning bit. You know, and it's not just me transferring knowledge. It, it's a combination of people asking questions, me thinking about it, me learning, as I said, off other people. So that's my sort of approach to to helping people improve in life. Because you do a lot of, um, obviously, a lot of teaching. You're, you're a mental health uh, first aid trainer through Mental Health England, aren't you, Ross? Yeah, I picked up on that. I think, you know, when working with a lot of challenged children, it made me aware that, you know, there's a lot of, want of a better word, a lot of damage out there. And I wanted to try to work in areas where I could change from that damage. And in 2019, before the pandemic, I thought I need to add this to my to my knowledge suite, that specific understanding uh, of mental health and how it applies, given I've worked with so many people in the past, it'd be nice to get a qualification to go on to that. And so we did that. I learned quite a bit. Um, and then the pandemic came and it all fitted into place quite neatly because everybody wanted, as you do now, awareness, understanding, development and growth of their own mental health. And again, whether in crisis or not, I think it's important to to to, to actually, especially with men, we're talking about men today, to grasp that and develop it and not be scared of talking about mental health for men. And I think that's a real center point for, for mental health development and you know if you push me for, for statistics i can give you those but we know broadly speaking that men can be more vulnerable to more severe types of mental illness so we've got to share that message and that's why i, I took those courses that's why i've worked with so many companies in the last three years it, it's given me a massive insight into what's really needed what you say it's very much about that awareness isn't it and like I say you can be at either end of, of that crisis or whatever, but just knowing that what kind of triggers or, or what to look out for is is massively important. So obviously we're looking at, at tips and that. So what kind of what would be your your top tip for people looking after their own mental health? Yeah, it's good that we drill down, isn't it? Giving people detail, giving specifics. So mm. you know, I see a lot of intelligent sharp people it's like, let's use education for example you know senior leadership team literally running around within you know got important briefs to, to carry out yet they don't see some of the obvious things so when i say about awareness i mean about slowing down and being patient and actually listening to somebody and watching somebody and just think could that be something that's different and that's the key word difference or change so somebody's change. So somebody could be changing their behaviours in terms of going to work, going a bit later to avoid people, leaving a bit later or leaving a bit earlier. Because avoidance is a big thing in terms of um, some of the mental health conditions, especially depression. A change in people crying. So we, you could say, you know, broadly speaking, that if you're crying, you're depressed. And that could be the case. But you might find somebody who used to cry who now doesn't cry. They become numb, in fact. So you can't say crying in itself is a key factor in terms of identifying a mental health illness. It's the change in the person. And to identify the change, you've got to slow down a little bit, you know. But avoidance is a big one, anger, aggression. Um, people, that mood swing 
quick mood swings, another example of that. So sometimes we tie these conditions down to certain um, psychiatric disorders. Sometimes I talk about them in general. But being patient, being aware, and then we start getting to the, the situation where we start to have conversations, we start to listen. Maybe we can signpost, but maybe it's just the process. Maybe there's no destination to go to, you know, that you're going to get fixed. Maybe just being with somebody, listening to somebody, could be the solution. So it doesn't have to be too complex. It doesn't have to be too didactic. Well, you must do this. Adam, you've got this challenge. You must do this. Actually, it could be a bit softer than that. And the feeling of being supported is very powerful indeed. If you've ever experienced that, when you feel a bit down, really down at times, and somebody supports you, you get a bit of lift. You feel people on your side. And I think with men, especially, if I turn that conversation back to men, we can often feel isolated pretty quick. Oh, they're not doing this and they're not doing that. I'm fighting on my own. Nobody understands me. And then something drastic can happen, especially if we're involved in alcohol and drugs. That's where the caveat of that behavior happens, where we can get some real serious outcomes. Do you think the conversation is getting better, Ross, in terms of um, better awareness and, and better understanding of men's mental health? Or do you think we still have a long way to go? I think the pandemic, one of the few good things to come out of it is it raised the awareness of people's own mental health, people who didn't have mental health challenges before the pandemic, who suddenly realised, I feel a bit wobbly. And that hasn't happened to me before. This is a big event. So I think to answer your question, I think we need to keep going further. I think there is a split. I think younger people do talk about it more. And people like my generation still tend to hang on some sort of phrases, man up and get on with it, or you'll be fine. And, and, and you know, at my age, you know, man up and all, I've been manning up all my life, you know what I mean? But I just want someone to, to understand me, to support me, not to judge me. There's a key word, not to judge me. Ross, I know you're strong, but maybe we want to put the ball down for a few weeks now, and then we'll pick it up again and we'll run with it again. So that constant, you know, pushing, then recharging, pushing and recharging, to understand that process is very powerful. I don't really think, if I was talking personally now, that I need to signpost anywhere, but I just want somebody on my side. Team Ross, who knows me, understands me and supports me. So awareness is important, and I think talking and listening, and in some cases signposting professional help has got a very serious role to play in this. But I think if you think about this question, more awareness might stop us going to more serious professional support. I suppose that, yeah, that is yeah, that's very right, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, because if you think somebody's just... Yes, but you don't want to stop people from, from getting that professional help, do you? But it, I suppose it's knowing the difference, isn't it, of when somebody just needs a little bit of support and knowing when they need something a bit more. So I suppose that's where your kind of knowledge comes into that. Yeah, I find, and I'll tell you something I've already said in the last few minutes, but I'll say it again, it's that important. I think sometimes just being with somebody, not judging them, and not trying to fix it. We have a, a thing with men. This, this is a generalization, but men try and fix things. So what's wrong? Oh, you need to do this. We need to do that. And in that process, you can feel a bit down because someone told you what to do. But yeah, we know that's the answer, but I don't want to think about that. I just want somebody to listen, to be with me on my team. 
So I think that that's very important to be aware of that. So in all these things that we do, we sometimes live in a very fast society and we've got to make time, quality time for the people who we care for in this life. Yeah. And if you can do that, sometimes by a phone call, sometimes by text, but often face to face, post pandemic yeah. now, getting there, seeing people, you know, seeing how they're responding to you. You can tell a lot about people by that, you know. Well, so yeah, because the face doesn't lie, does it particularly? Like I say, if you're on the other end of a phone, it's a lot easier to mask or hide. There's, What's a, happening? there's a professor called um, Paul Ekman. He studies, works the criminology department in San Diego, and he says there's like 6,500 micro expressions of the face. You're not going to get any of those on the phone. And even face to face, you can't work out 6,500, but you get a feel. And I think certainly with experience and age, often comes that ability not to read people, but actually not to read them, just letting them not judge them, just let them empty the stuff and just just everybody as they come. And I find that with, with younger people today, you know, we can see younger people do some erratic stuff and we can say, what's he doing? Didn't happen in my day. But we don't know the reasons behind that. Somebody could be just coming from a funeral. Somebody could just split up with a girlfriend, a boyfriend. And you've got to be a bit more patient and considerate in this society these days. And I think that's a good thing of moving forward, being more inclusive and more aware. And I think in the 60s and 70s when I was growing up, it was you just did it and you get on with it. You didn't talk about it. And I think there's a strength in developing some resilience for that. There's also a caveat of resilience by being too strong for too long. You'll have to t drop the ball or the ball will be taken off you. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose I mean, we also in terms of health. Sorry, Warren, go on. No, no, you carry on, mate. I was just going to say in terms of our health and, you know, we talk about our mental health and our mental resilience, especially in men. But I think a lot of people think, forget that there's a lot more to being mentally strong, you know, in terms of, um, you know, you mentioned addictions, there's things like, you know, our diet, our, our kind of mindset as well. There's, there's all sorts of things, isn't there, that can impact our mental well-being. Yeah, the obvious one, Adam, and you're, I'm sure you're aware of this, is the physical health. There's a symbiotic relationship. One feeds the other. So if you've got good physical health, it's not exclusive, but there's a good chance you could have good mental health and vice versa. So we know that, you know, some people will give you some examples, a bit sad examples, but, you know, I don't know if you guys go back long enough, but um, Ian Curtis, remember Ian Curtis, lead singer? In the 1980s for that top group and give me a chance yeah. to remember the group well i'll let you think about that anyway but ian curtis was a lead singer and he developed epilepsy okay and um he struggled with the performances he thought when's the epilepsy going to happen and eventually he died by suicide he, he didn't want to carry on his life he's only 23 and Sometimes that physical can affect our emotional state. When we feel things compromised, we can't do things. Um, and there's a one recently with um, Tariq, um, the Prime Minister, the Secretary of State's uh, brother, who, who died at age 53, and he said there was no warning signs. There was no warning signs at all. And, and, and they looked back afterwards when, it, when he died by suicide, that he found that he had a lot of physical ailments that were sort of ganging up on him. 
and Sadi Javid, that was the guy there. And so it, they didn't see it at the time, but once the after the event happened, they realized it then more and more. So that physical sign, correct, our, our, our mental sign. But we know on the other side of the coin, the mental side, that for instance, 40% of people who are depressed, you know, long-term will develop cardiovascular injuries and disease. So that worrying, that depressive state, that negativity can affect our physical outcome, as can the physical and our mental outcome. So there is, it's in, interlinked, isn't it, between the two? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose because it is that. And I suppose when you're when you're feeling that way, you don't want to do anything. Yeah, knowing that you can go out and do something. It's like naturally running or whatever just releases endorphins, doesn't it, and just makes you feel better. But if you're yeah. in that state, you don't want to do it. Yeah, it's a bit of a catch twenty two, Joseph Heller. Um, but we know a little bit of something. We don't feel like it. You know, you, you don't. You very rarely come back from a walk or go to the gym and feel worse than when you started. Very rarely. Yeah. Uh, and I think you've got to go on it sometimes and force yourself to do something. Life isn't always easy, but sometimes we've got to try and force ourselves over that line to do something. So I, I, I'm a big believer in, in, you know, exercise, but being outdoors with the right people. I think, you know, touch on this very quickly, but diet's a big thing. Not having those saturated fats, those processed foods, more vegetables, maybe not eating as much, not eating as late, uh, and linking that to the other key component is sleep, getting that seven to eight hours at night. It's, it's easy to say, but difficult to do at times. I'm going through a period at the moment that I've got a lot of pain going on, sleeping is poor, and that knocks on to my food habits, the, the concentration, my patience, my resistance to, to junk foods is much lower because I'm not getting the right sleep. And so I'm not going to sit here and say, you must do this, and if you don't do it, you're not good enough. We all go through those phases. But you've got to be aware initially of what to manipulate. Diet, sleep, and exercise are big things. Being supported is another one. And, and having someone to talk to. You know, as a man, if I said to you, who do you talk to? A lot of people, men, struggle to answer that question. You know, especially single men, if you're not with a partner. So that's one of the things I notice quite a bit. And it's something I need to address more. I'm single. You know, I, I have a, a lot of people I talk to and go to. But who do I really talk to on that in-depth level not many people and you don't need many but I, that's something i need to keep working on myself yes but we're we're lucky in that respect so, so we've got amazing partners but me and adam have you known each other since we we're in high school so we, we've always got each other and we, we do you know constant check-ins with each other through work and out of work over the weekends and as i said just having that support i think that's one of the big kind of things for us because again you know it's just a nice little knowing somebody's on my side knowing we can get through something and also like i say i can i can have a wins to him and not be yeah. judged and yeah that's, that's a real good point yeah we don't want to be judged too often sometimes the, we can have truths but the your truths they're not universal truths so you need to do this might be true in your world but it might be relevant to my world so we can't say these are definite things to do. But, you know, at the end of the day, you want someone not to judge you, like you said. They said there is no clear path for any one person, is it? It's, we're all individual. Everybody's got individual needs. And it's just about finding what works best for, for you or for that person that you're with. Yeah, and education is a big part of that, knowing how the brain works, knowing the statistics, you know, knowing that men under 45 are more vulnerable 
to mental illness, especially the suicide, the extreme example of that. We know that younger people are more vulnerable to mental illness. You know, half mental illness happens before 14, 75 percent to 18. I looked at some stats the other day about um, drug taking people who, who take drugs, recreational drugs. There's there was 5,000 deaths by drugs that were unaccounted for. They shouldn't have happened, but they did happen. And we know that's a dangerous thing. You know, relationships when they break up for young men's a difficult one. If you link that to drugs and alcohol, you know, there's so many things. Another thing that's coming in more, most at the moment is um, gambling. I was reading the papers yesterday about it. Matt Murray's football, Joey Beauchamp, played for uh, West Ham and Oxford, and he. He died by suicide early 50s and he was involved in gambling and in his agreement his mother died and i don't know about the rest of his lifestyle but it, you know, there might be other things contributory factors as well so there's lots of different pressures on modern society and especially post pandemic and especially as men we feel we've got to be the hunter gatherers we've got to provide for everybody else and there's, there's elements of truth in that but you know we're in a multifaceted society where there's multiple breadwinners and we don't always have to take that burden on ourselves. So expectations, whether that's for yourself, from yourself, or from society, they can drive us down dangerous roads if we don't watch it. Yeah. And I think, you know, with, with men especially, you know, it, it depends very much on your upbringing, doesn't it? So, you know, if you're told that men don't cry, that um, men don't talk about the feelings, that that stays with you into adulthood until you reach a point where you realize that that's not the case or you know you you ed become educated and you realize that you know that there is a different approach but you know there is still that kind of stigma i suppose with men isn't there about asking for help um and rather than asking for help we see men turn into things like you know gambling alcohol drugs um, other addictions so yeah. you know it's it's really important that educate and, and knowledge is is out there as much as possible i think yeah you're right about the upbringing you know we we can't choose our parents and we can't no. really have much influence on our environment and our schools we go to our friendships to a certain extent we can do but eventually we might work it out or we might not and this is the dangerous bit where we don't work it out and we start operating in a way that we think the world should respond to us and I think the beauty of education is you get different viewpoints. You start playing with ideas. Well, I used to think this. What if I thought this? What if a bit more optimistic than pessimistic? What if I got some education? It might change my viewpoint on my own mental health. And it's that being curious and exploring that some people have and, and some people that they're stuck and they're just stuck. And, and that's not a value judgment. I think they're stuck through their upbringing. And I think sometimes the upbringing where you and I used to work had them, I think some of those unfortunate situations that could experience, it could be like a ceiling for life. And I think that's something that, that I want to try and challenge that in a lot of ways. And But it's difficult to challenge background. You know, it really is at times. Oh, so that, like you say, it's all, it is all just about education and challenging and, and supporting so, so what's next for you then, Ross? Um, well, this Friday, literally, I'm doing a, a conference in Manchester speaking about well-being for, for music teachers, but also for, for pupils as well. And next week, I'm on to Macclesfield doing some work with um, Superbikes, some mental health training. 
as well. But I like to get an eclectic mix of things. I like doing different things. I like my research. And I like delivering. I like performing. I like writing. Um, but I suppose this year, I just want to, you know, cruise along. I don't want to flog myself to proverbial death. I just want to enjoy what I'm doing. I want to engage with people. And when I'm not just relaxed, but when I'm ready and not being pushed too much, the best comes out of Ross. And, and I like that. So, yeah, and, and I think we put too much pressure on ourselves. And I, I talked about expectations before. And when I said it, I'm going to say something to you next that you might think that's counterintuitively feels wrong. But I often say to people, you know, just with your expectations, just lower them down a little bit and raise your rewards. Now, you might think I've earned my rewards, you know, but if you find just a bit less, well, you know, I'm not going to rule the world, except that. I'm going to reward myself. I'm going to have an extra nice sandwich today. I'm going to do the countryside. I'll speak to someone for a half an hour and not worry about the work I'm missing out on. That combination of lowering expectations but raising rewards is a, is a good way to think about things. And that's what I seem to do for the next, you know, 12 months or so. I'm going to just do along with that. If I get a book published, another one, I will do. Speak to you guys. But sometimes it's that driving, internal driving yourself that can tie you out. And this is where I talk about the caveats of resilience. Come on, Ross, keep going, keep going. But after a bit, you put your head up and go, where am I going to? Can I make it? Will my body allow me? Will my mind let me do this? And am I being more effective by doing a bit less? And I think that's the interesting bit. We always want more, don't we? And I think that's something I, I see all the time. Now, before we go, guys, I know you want to get rid of me soon, but I was disappointed you can't remember that um, Ian Curtis. I'll give you one last chance. Joy Division. Joy, Joy Division. So there's something. I didn't want to leave you on a tenterhook there. That's a, a nice guy, you think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember that now. Yeah, I was I was th I was thinking uh, Michael Hutchins, but that was that you know that's a different band. Well, it's a, it's a similar sort of thing, similar sort of thing. Yeah, but not epilepsy, but the drugs and the lifestyle, the relationship pressures, and that pull performance. Pull performance is an interesting one, isn't it? We haven't really touched on that. And I wrote some stuff for Rugby League recently, and, and it was all about, not from me, but from them, it was all about, we need performance, but we're now questioning, do we need it at all costs? And you're seeing people around the world, Ben Stokes, Simone Biles, Tyrone Mings, in different sports, struggling at times with the mental health. And we know mental health is it's very not often is permanent, it's transitory, it moves around. So I think it's an interesting concept that we're able now to this awareness to talk about it, to see these role models having the difficulties, but bouncing back. And I think that's the message of hope and recovery, which we haven't talked about. Hope and recovery is a big thing. When we lose hope, we tend to lose the possibility of thinking we'll get better. And we often do get better. Yeah, maybe different, but we do get better sometimes. Yeah. Well, just, uh, yeah, I suppose, yeah, we haven't spoke about uh, the hope and recovery, have we? Uh, and that is a a massive part of it because people need to know that it it can get better you know and they need to be given that hope as a bit of a, a carrot almost to to drive themselves forward yeah and, and modern medicine sometimes you know it, it it does solve things but sometimes it doesn't and you're left in that limbo land what do i do and you can end up scanning your body for problems and that becomes a problem in itself um, am I going to be psychotic? Have I got this physical illness? Is my heart going funny? And, and I think sometimes we struggle getting that attention and then getting a diagnosis. When we get a diagnosis, we've got something to work with. It's when we haven't got a diagnosis that we can flounder. And I, I see a lot of people in that that level, and I've been there myself, well, what's going wrong with me? And, and what is it? And if I know what it is, I can deal with it. And so once you've got a diagnosis, you put the hope and recovery and the support together, 
as I said, this message is very clear now that most people will get better. Most people will improve and don't see the mental health in the 50s and 60s and 70s like it's something like it's a jail sentence because it's not. And we're much better with the drugs, with the awareness, with the talking, with the support these days. So that's a message that should come loud and clear to all your listeners that as much as we're talking about things that are a bit, you know, makes you a bit funny about things in terms of suicides yeah. and drugs and alcohol, there is a lot of hope, a lot of recovery. And we're much better at this these days because of things like this. Yeah. No, that's that's great, Ross. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's so refreshing to hear you speak and, and kind of give that message of hope, you know, because quite often we focus on the, the negatives and, but very often we don't focus on, like you said, this is transient. This is only temporary. Things can get better. But yeah, no, th- thank you for that, Ross. It's It's been an amazing uh, podcast. Uh, really appreciate you coming on and, and talking to us today. That's good. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Warren. You're only as good as your audience. And you guys were fantastic giving those good questions. And hopefully your listeners can, even if you only take one thing away, you know, whatever that one thing is, that's going to improve your life somewhat, you know? That's what we aim for. You know, like I say, yeah. small bits, take something and just make something a little bit better. Even if it only helps one person, it's yeah. it's well worth it. So, you, know, yeah, it's uh, you can't change the world, but you can change the world of one person. Yeah, and I think that's important. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, again, so, so as Adam says, thank you so much for coming on. It has been yes. an absolute pleasure. And yeah, we've loved every minute of it. And hopefully we can we can have you back. You say you're, you're looking at writing an, another book? Well, I write different books all the time. Getting them published is something else. But yeah, about the young skills gap, what I call the non-cognitive skills for 16 to 21-year-olds, those people who've maybe gone or going through apprenticeships or going and finishing university, what is it that they can't teach you that we can teach you? That non-cognitive stuff, emotional intelligence, those communication skills, that's applied resilience, but not resilience that's the SES style that do it till you die. Let's just hold it back a bit you know, and have some reserve and that flow. There's a word I use for that called Sonoma. It means in flow where the moon settles and it's in the right place at the right time and it's in flow. So all my stuff for young people is about being in flow. Not You must catch up from the pandemic. You must do this because you're creating a monster that way. And I think you've got to be gentle with people. As I said before, that mental health around the, the arms and shoulders and supporting people, right? Let's develop these skills and let's develop them. Let's go and practice them. Let's get some feedback and let's push on. And I think that's a nice way rather than forcing ourselves to go through something, to get the qualification, to push on to the next thing. That wears us out if we don't watch it. That'd be, that'd be great. If we could have you back on to, to do a segment on that. That'd be amazing. Because I think that'd be truly helpful for people as well. Yeah, we're in a rush, aren't we, all these days, especially after the We're in a rush to, to make things better. But like I said, like we all agree, sometimes we can't make things better, you know, but we can we can change things in a positive way at times. And that, that change might take a bit longer. But I think a bit of patience and a bit of support, a bit of understanding, you know, it doesn't matter whether you get there tomorrow or next week, just as long as you get there, you know, and that's my viewpoint in life. You know, first is great, but, you know, second and third and fourth, as long as I get there, I don't really care, you know, and that's where I want to get that impression because young people, they're pushed a lot these days. And I think there's some good stuff in that, but there's a lot of negativity associated with it. If I don't come first, what's the point? 
And, you know, I'm a classic example of filling the qualification at school, but I've got a few degrees now and I'm thinking about doing my doctorate and all that sort of stuff. As long as I get there, it doesn't really matter, you know. So I think yeah. that's the message for younger people. Keep doing something, but, you know, don't don't wear yourself out too soon because you've got a long way to go. The average age of life expense is over 80 these days, so I want to make sure you get the most out of your years. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Enjoy it. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing, yeah. isn't it? As much as you can. Absolutely. That's been amazing. So again, thank you, thank Ross. you so much, Ross. And we uh, we do hope to see you again. Thanks, guys. Take care. See you later. Bye now. Bye bye. The Mindfield Podcast has been presented by the Sanguine Writing House, the UK's leading provider of online mystery and strategy games, along with team training, mental health awareness, and mental health first aid courses. To find out more and to book your course or game, please visit tswh.co.uk.